Good morning. morning. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 16. This is where we're going to be camped out here. It's the passage that we'll spend our time in, and we'll start in in verse 13. So Matthew 16, we're going to start in verse 13. There's so much to talk about in this chapter, and uh, originally I was going to try to cram it all into one message, and that really quickly uh, became obvious that wasn't going to work. This new survey out says that people don't like three-hour messages. That's Brand new, they used to, but not anymore. So we're not gonna we're not gonna cram it in to the one message here. So part two will either uh, will probably be in in August. We'll pick that up again. But even so, I do plan to move uh, quickly. So if you have your coffee, take a few swigs because we're gonna be going quick, and we're gonna dive into God's word together today. Um, a little context of where we are, picking it up here. Jesus has just fed the five thousand. Okay, and we know. Uh, because of how things were recorded, that was probably more like with women and children, about 10,000 people. So this huge miracle. And listen, when you do stuff like that, people start to take notice. They already knew about Jesus, but now Jesus' name is getting greater and greater, and people are beginning to know who this guy is. Okay, there's, there's a stir, there's some buzz around Jesus. And so it's interesting now because in verse 13, of Matthew 16 is where we're going to start. And Jesus had come alone to pray. Let's read together. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now listen. The reason that Jesus is asking about what people are saying about him is not for the same reason that we would ask that question, okay? This is not a, a paranoid a perspective that Jesus is having. So t- tell me what they're saying. Tell me what they're saying. What, what do they think about me? He, he's, he's not concerned about that. This isn't even his attempt to have his disciples puff him up a little. He's like, so anyone mention anything about that uh, boy with the fish and the bread? That was pretty epic, right? Pretty good? Anyone say anything? No, that's not what he's doing. He's not seeking compliments here. He, he is asking a question, uh, and he, he wants the answer. But Jesus is secure. He's not worried about how people perceive him. He's not googling his name and looking what his digital footprint is he's not mashing the refresh button on facebook to see if anyone has liked their, his comment or his picture because he draws satisfaction and, and meaning in this this is not an identity crisis that jesus has here when he's asking his disciples who do people say that the son of man is you see the thing with jesus is he is very very comfortable about who he is already and Jesus is like your mama in the way that Jesus always asks a question that he knows the answer to, okay? He doesn't ask a question that he doesn't know the answer to, just like your mom, okay? And so your mom, when he'd line up you and your siblings, and she'd say, okay, which one of you kids spilled graham crackers all over my bed? You know, and she's making eye contact with you the whole time. And now you know that she knows that you know that she knows that you did it, okay? She knows the answer to the question she's asking, right? Which one are you kidding? And it, it, it's me. I, I did it. Because it's not time to make this last any longer. It's just going to go worse for you because she knows. And just like Mama, Jesus only asks questions that he knows the answer to. And so we, we have that here. And so Jesus asked them, Tell me, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the disciples were used to Jesus asking questions. 
The problem with being a disciple of Jesus is that Jesus was not afraid to ask uncomfortable questions, okay? And so the disciples at this point were around him long enough to probably have that, that feeling of stress come into them. Oh no, he's looking at us again, he's talking, he's asking us something, we better know, we better know. You know, they're getting stressed out at even the beginning of it. And so Jesus says, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, proof here that Jesus is not asking from that insecure standpoint that we talked about is when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It's one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. But listen here to something Norman Crawford wrote. Very interesting. The title, Son of Man, so often used by the Lord in the Gospels, is not inferior to the title Son of God. For a true understanding of the meaning of Son of Man, a careful reading of Daniel 7 is necessary. Now listen to this. This is important. It is the title of the last Adam, the man who will yet wield the scepter of universal and eternal dominion. So don't worry about Jesus here. He's not insecure. He just called himself the Son of Man. Okay, he knows that he's asking the question, and as he's asking the question of who do people say who he is, he's holding the scepter of eternal dominion, so he's okay. All right, don't worry about him. And he asks it inside of that context. He knows that he's God. There's no question there. And so in asking this, he's testing. He's testing. He wants to understand the hearts of his followers. So they work up the, the courage and the answer in verse 14. And they said, some say, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I think this is really, really fascinating. 2,000 years, fast forward from that point now, 2,000 years to where we are right now, and people are answering the same way that they did back then. People have no clue who Jesus is. You remember, I hope you remember, because it was just recently, the, the series that Mark introduced to us of contagious Christianity, or becoming a contagious Christian. Remember they did the videos where they interviewed people, and they asked the simple, seemingly simple question of who is Jesus? Wasn't it amazing and astounding that no one got it right? The theme, though, that you saw, the vast majority, I can't remember what all was said anymore, but the vast majority was, was this, that, well, he was, he was a good man. He was a good man, and maybe even a great man. The confusing thing to me about back then is people now were saying, well, maybe he's one of the prophets, maybe he's John the Baptist, maybe he's, maybe he's Elijah. They were saying he was a man, and that wasn't good enough. That's not the right answer. Yes, he is a man, but we know what? He's so much more. And inside of the, the people's declaration that he was man, it, it's mind-boggling, and we'll find out later that I shouldn't be mind-boggled, I, sh- I should understand, but it is still confusing how Jesus is making loaves and fishes, turning it into a full-course meal for everybody. He's healing the blind, 
the lame, the sick. He's raising people up from the dead. Oh yeah, he, he's just a good man. That's, that's crazy. That is crazy. And for someone to watch a miracle and make the confession that they are just probably a good man is unbelievable and confusing. And yet we're going to find out just later in this same passage that it shouldn't be confusing to us. So then Jesus looks at the disciples. Verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And at this point, panic sets in. <laughs> Red alert! This isn't a drill. This is the big one. We knew this was coming, boys. We knew it was coming. And so they do the only logical thing. They make Peter their spokesperson. Okay. I never understand, and maybe you can help me with this later, why they choose Peter as their spokesperson. All right, this is a serious question. Peter, loudmouth, get on up there and give it a try. You know, this doesn't make sense. The guy is 50-50 at best at what he says. And that, I think that's generous. Let's go 30-70. So 30% that he's going to say something that won't totally embarrass everyone, okay? All right, and the good thing with Peter is he doesn't always have to open his mouth to mess things up. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? They go and they, they try to arrest Jesus, and all of a sudden Peter... He goes to his inner ninja, Hi-ya! and he cuts the guy's ear off, you know. And I can just imagine Jesus, really, Peter? Really? You know, <laughs> that, that's not in Scripture, that's just... But still, you know what? We understand that Peter does not have it together, does he? And so as Peter starts to talk, I can imagine the disciples are holding their breath. Please get this one right, Peter, this is the big one. And so what happens next is awesome. My sister-in-law, Christy, asked me to reserve the word awesome for God alone because he's the only thing awesome. But in this situation, what's about to happen next is awesome. So prepare your hearts because I want this to stir in you, to stir in you, to create in you an excitement about who you are if you've placed your faith in Christ. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter here confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And in verse 17, the very next verse, Jesus said to them, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. The disciples go crazy. Yes! He nailed it! High fives in the background. They're just going, yes! Yes! It's a miracle! It's a miracle! And Jesus confirms in the next verse, yes, in fact, it's a miracle that, G- that Peter was able to express clearly and rightly who Jesus is. Verse 17. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, this answers my earlier confusion about how people could see that he does a miracle right in front of them and still call him just a man. 
because it is only God who opens our eyes to see Him. Do you understand that? This is so vital to, to how we view life. No one, I repeat, no one understands that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God on their own. You see, for those of us that, that know these words about Jesus to be true, there's a thrill in hearing them, isn't there? Or there should be. In fact, that's a, a good test. When I hear the confession of Peter, does my heart say, yes, that's right, that's good. Because honestly, if it doesn't, there needs to be some self-examination. Okay, wait, whoa, whoa. Do I really know Jesus? Do I really know who he is? See, for those of us that know these words about Jesus to be true, the fact that we had nothing to do with it is so key. You didn't figure this out on your own. You're not so clever. You're not so good. You're not so uh, intelligent and beautiful and smart that you clearly saw that Jesus, yep, he's the Son of God. Knew it all along. No, that, that's not right. And you certainly did not earn this knowledge. You certainly did nothing to earn the grace of the Father opening your eyes. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of work, so that no, may, no one may boast. And yet, those of us, and especially I think those of us that have been saved for a long time, we, we tend to carry it around like it's nothing. Like we deserved it. And so it, it breeds in us this near contempt for the truth. Uh, yeah, he's the Son of God. And we make something so beautiful ugly by our own response. See, this life-giving gift of God that a broken world is desperate for, we, we hide it. We conceal it, both for our own safety and more importantly, because this is true, more for our own comfort. Anyone knows that I know this truth, I'm going to be a weirdo. It's going to happen. Anyone knows, my neighbors know that, that I'm, I'm different, that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that I believe Jesus is God, not just some good man. I'm going to be a weirdo. I'm going to be ostracized. Why am I being so mean here? Why am I being so strong about this? Well, because here, if we truly believe Peter's confession about who Jesus is, then it should change everything. And if we realize that what we've been given is totally undeserved apart from us, then it has to change our whole outlook on life. Jesus is saying to Peter, Blessed are you because my Father has opened the eyes of your heart so that you can understand, so that you could believe. So then how you behave, this is key, I'm going to read it so that how you behave in light of the truth of Jesus is a great indicator of your salvation. Now, what am I talking about? We're here at church. We know we're all saved, right? A lot of us went to Emmaus. So we're all, listen to this. 
It's time to evaluate. It's time to, to look inwardly. So then how you behave in light of the truth of Jesus is a great indicator of your salvation. And so Jesus is asking you the same question he asked his disciples because he was testing his disciples. He wanted to see, do they know me? And so Jesus is asking us, who do you say that I am? And this passage is startling because it makes us have to confront that question right now, not, not in my past, not in, in what's happened, but right now where I am right at this moment in life. Who do I say that Jesus is? Verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And Peter here says, wow, that sounds amazing. Real quick, what's a church? You know, <laughs> this is the first mention of, of a church. And Peter's like, that's great, Lord. Thank you. What, what, uh, what's a church? Do I get it? Are we going to get it tomorrow? Will I, have, will I have that? Peter doesn't understand fully really what, what's going on here, does he? It's important for us to, to hash through something here, and uh, we'll dig in a little bit here. And this would be good for you to go home. This is a good piece to go home and for you to search through as well. But I'm going to uh, present something. There's been something about this verse that has been really misunderstood. And so... Um, I'm going to give what I believe is the right perspective, but I, I uh, want to encourage you that there's some time that should be spent in here because this verse is foundational to how we view our church. This verse is foundational to what we believe about our, our local body here, and I'm going to explain why. There's uh, quite a bit of misunderstanding here, and, and uh, again, pretty foundational stuff. See, Jesus in this verse is not saying that Peter is who the church is built on. And now that, that might be a confusing statement because just from first glance in our English language, that, that looks like what it's saying. But Jesus is not saying that Peter is who the church is built on. Peter wasn't saying, Peter, buddy, since you've proven to be such a reliable dude, since you've answered my difficult question right today, I'm going to build my whole church right on you, buddy. Millions of souls, I'm going to rest it all on your shoulders. And that's not what Jesus was doing. See, Jesus was saying that he was going to build his church, and this is key, on Peter's confession. The misunderstanding that takes place here is, in, is that Peter's name in Greek means stone. And that brings some confusion into actually how the, the verse lays out. But William MacDonald smarter dude than me, does an awesome job of just explaining this out. So let me read this and try to put your studious hat on because I think as we learn from the studious, we can then let it seep into our heart and really as it becomes the truth uh, in our heart, we can allow it to move us forward with really a new perspective on, on what church is all about. So go into studious mode with me, please. Listen carefully to William MacDonald. Part of the problem arises from the fact that the Greek word for Peter and for rock are similar. But the meanings are different. The first, Petros, means a stone or loose rock. The second, Petra, means an awesome rock band. <laughs> oh, good, you're awake. That was my little test I put in there. William McDonald didn't say that. I did. 
All right. It means rock. So Petra means rock, such as a rocky ledge. So what Jesus really said was this, you are Peter, stone, and on this rock I will build my church. He did not say he would build his church on a stone, but on a rock. If Peter is not the rock, then what is? If we stick to the context, the obvious answer is that the rock is Peter's confession. That Christ is the son of the living God. The truth on which the church is founded. Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. William MacDonald goes on and says, This teaches that the church is built on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Its statement that we are built upon the foundation of the prophets refers not to them, but to the foundation laid in their teachings concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, this excites me. And I've never been a, a super deep theologian. I'm, 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 the Lord is really doing some neat work in my life and, and, and theology and the ability to, to understand God maybe in a deeper way is, is becoming more and more exciting to me. And that, that's, that's fun. Because I used to just, I used to view it differently. But now here, even as I read this explanation of this verse, and now my understanding is brought back and drawn back to the fact that everything we believe in about church and how we do it and what we do and how we interact together as members of the body of Christ, the church, rests on Jesus Christ. And that's good. That's good. One more for you. G. Campbell Morgan commenting on uh, Christ spoken of as, as the rock. He says this, Remember, he was talking to Jews. And if we chase the figurative use of the word rock through Hebrew scriptures, we find that it is never used symbolically of man, but always of God. So here at Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, it is not upon Peter that the church is built. Jesus did not trifle with figures of speech. He took up their old Hebrew illustration, rock, always the symbol of deity, and he said, upon, and he said, upon God himself, Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. That's exciting to me, isn't it? When you can understand through the Spirit's power what the Scripture is saying and now the meaning becomes clearer and then my understanding of what is required of me becomes clearer. See, the understanding of this is significant. This is, this is not little. This is why I'm taking a lot of time on it. This is enormous. The church is built on Christ. This church if it is to be a genuine and real church, has to be built on Christ and Christ alone. So what does this mean? Let's, let's um, hash this out. Let's, let's talk about what Christ being the foundation of our church means for this local body. It means this, and, and if, if you're just visiting us today, this is... Uh, we're thankful you're here, but, but um, this is really directed at those of us that call this permanently 
your local church body. If this is your local church, then you need to pour into it. You see, with this knowledge that the church is no longer just a sweet little gathering of people that are like-minded, that like to sing pretty songs together, no, that's not the church. See, the church is Christ's body. It is the megaphone of God proclaiming His glory into a dark world. And friends, if the church is built on the foundation of Jesus, hear this, this is so important, if the church is built on the foundation of Jesus, that means the church is all about Him. It's all about Christ, the Son of the living God. It's about what He has done. It's about what He is doing. It's about what He will do. And for certain, what that means, without question, without any doubt, what that means is that the church is not about me. It's not about me. It's about Him. And so listen to this. If it's about Him, go with me here, my involvement in the church is not a friendly suggestion, but rather a measuring stick of who I believe Jesus is. Do you hear that? Because that's transitional thinking. That's not just show up on Sunday morning kind of thinking, is it? See, if I believe who Jesus is, is true, who He says He is, is true, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I believe that the foundation of the church rests in Him, that it's all about Him, then me choosing not to be poured in and worn out and wrung out in the service of His church is a reflection of what I really, truly believe about Jesus. And so if I find no motivation to come to church and maybe going forward now if we know this it can change but if I find no motivation to to come and be part of the church then we have to go back and we have to look in my heart who do I say that he is he is the Christ the son of the living God and he is beckoning you in he is calling you in I'm so convinced um, that God wants to build up this local church. We had such an exciting meeting yesterday. Um, the elders, uh, just seeing these guys' heart and knowing that they love Jesus and that as a bunch of imperfect guys that have a lot of faults, but still these guys love Jesus, they love you, and they want to see God's name made great through this church. That's exciting. And I am really more than ever convinced that God wants to build up this local church. And I'm excited about what God is beginning to do. And if you've been here consistently over the last few months, I think you can feel a switch has been turned. That there is a new life that God is beginning to breathe into this church. 
and we're missing some key people. We are, we are losing some people. I'm looking at Jess, I'm looking at Spencer and Gabby and Kelsey. We're, we're losing people that did pour into this church that are being called away. And even still, as much as that's going to hurt and much of a gap that's going to fill, I'm still so excited because of what God is calling this church body to and my faith that He will restore this church if, if this church figures out that it is upon His foundation that we build and that it's only about Him. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my grudges. It's not about my insecurities. It's not about the things that I'm holding on that are keeping me from pouring into the church. It's about Him. It's about His glory and His honor and His renown spoken into a dark world, spoken into my heart. I know the good work that He's doing cannot and will not be built on the foundation of our own efforts, our own talents, or our desires, or our feelings, but it will be built on the only rock that will stand. It will be built on the only thing that is most precious, most beautiful, and big enough to last, big enough to fulfill, to heal our broken hearts, our broken relationships, our broken families, our broken local body. If it is to be built, it has to be built on the name that is above every name, the name to whom every knee will bow, to whom every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ our Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen?